Hey, Bob Gurr here, legendary Imagineer. I've just had a fantastic time answering a whole bunch of crazy questions that some of them are not so crazy for Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 127 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place and I'm glad you're here. Today we have part two of my interview with return guest Margaret Carey. Last time we got to talk a little bit about what it means for her to have been the animation reference model for Tinkerbell, as well as things about her dancing and performing in her show business career uh, that started 84 years ago. We also had a little tangent about singing in the rain, and one of my favorite parts, when we talked about her living in fear from the time she was a small child, why that happened and how she overcame it. That was really helpful and inspiring to me. I hope it was for you too. Now, in this episode, she talks about the Tinkerbell movies, what a tinker is and why it's so important that Tinkerbell had that job, being friends with Virginia Davis, Alice from the original Alice comedies, a little bit about her book, Tinkerbell Talks, Tales from a Pixie-Dusted Life, a bit about working on the Our Gang comedies, and a story about how wonderful people are, working with Bing Crosby, Eleanor Powell, and Andy Griffith, Working with and being friends with June Foray, whom you might know as Granny from the Looney Tunes, Rocky the Flying Squirrel, Grandmother Fa in Mulan, Aunt May in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, and a whole bunch more. Her appreciation of some of the less well-known and even unknown people she's worked with. Praise for her new book from Bob Gurr. Finding her birth family after 50 years. More about her book, including a really fun story from it a couple of favorite quotes, and of course, shameless plug time. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, Commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee, Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant Golf Clap, 
out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by JewelBeat.com And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. The other thing is that the first time that they uh, invited me over to the studio that they were making these things, and Peggy Holmes was there, and uh, I said, well, what do you, she said, we don't know what we're doing. But we're having a lovely time. And, of course, they were making two movies at the same time, which was quite something. As you can imagine, mm -hmm. if you didn't know what you were doing. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was bad enough if you knew what you were doing. Yeah. And they weren't afraid of it. It was just, what do we do? One of the things that she said that I loved, and if you go back and look at all seven movies, there is a positive message on every one of them that sneaks in every one of them mm -hmm. and the one with terrence if you remember that you don't treat your friend badly yes that your best friend is your best friend mm -hmm. uh the other one i i adore and of course finding her half sister you can imagine that i love but the other one that i adore is the great, very, uh, I want to say escape always. Rescue. A rescue. It's two movies. And what I love about it is that Tico Bell and Liz have to figure out how to communicate. Mm -hmm. They dance around each other. Well, don't we all? Don't we all? And then I loved it that the science, a scientific father was a nice guy. He wasn't going to take out their liver or whatever, as <laughs> right. usual. And I love the fact that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to add to this while we're talking about him. Yeah. I find it very interesting the first time that I went on a cruise for Disney, and I was thinking, what do I talk to them about? The first thing I asked them is, do you, any of you, I'm sure some of you do, know what a tinker is? Hardly anybody did. Really? And I thought, well, I'm so old. Seriously, I'm so old. I heard about Tinkers. And, of course, then I would tell them that James M. Barry, that he was born in Kiramuir, Scotland, in Angus County, and he would see the uh, Tinkers come. Mm -hmm. They were also named gypsies, but uh, they had their own language. But they had pots and pans hanging off their, their big carts. But the main thing was that we don't think about it today. James M. Barry gave Tinkerbell a very important job in this world to mend pots and pans and to fix things. 
Now, why I say that is when you give, this was 1906, and folks, you really couldn't run around the corner to Home Depot and say, I would like a new iron skillet, please. (laughs) As a matter of fact, if they needed mending, you couldn't use them. You couldn't eat. And I am told by historians that in some cases, the pots and pans and utensils are put in somebody's will. Mm -hmm. That's how important they are. So a tinker way back then is terribly important, and that's what I loved in the uh, Great uh, Fairy Rescue is that at the very end, she tinkers with the car. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they bring it around. Disney is really wonderful at at picking up little clues and things like that. I don't know if I could work with them because I have my my sort of my mind made up of what it should be. (laughs) And then all these people come in with these incredible ideas, and I would say, wait, 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 I'm going to go on vacation for a week. (laughs) You work it out. I've I've been in some of those meetings. (gasps) It is incredible to be in that room with them. It's marvelous. So I ask them that about uh, Tinkerbell, and then I also ask them about, do you know what D23 means? A lot of the people who were aboard the the ship were members of D23. Mm -hmm. So hopefully they knew. No, they didn't. Really? Uh, And I said, well, I'm going to show off is what I'm going to do. (laughs) So everybody sit back. And, of course, I told them that 1923 is when Walt Disney really went into production. So it's D23. It's a salute to the beginnings of Walt Disney. And then I'm happy to tell them, and I brought pictures of Virginia Davis. Mm -hmm. And in my book, I give her a whole chapter. She became a very dear friend of mine in her late 80s. And I took her all over town. We drove her. We went to parties together. We did everything. And she, of course, was Alice in Alice Comedies. Mm -hmm. I was uh, asked by Virginia when she got her first award from ASIFA, the uh, Animation Society International for the Art. They put on the Annie Awards. Oh, right. Big stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was on the board. And they... uh, they decided they would give her the June Foray Award, which is a juried award. Okay. We would pick and choose. So she said, I-, I need a speech. So I said, I'll help you. So I-, I wrote some of it. She wrote some of it. But she used this tagline in every speech that she ever made. So you see, it didn't really start with a mouse. It really started with a little girl, me. And the people just love it. But we forget that. Mm-hmm. So it's just a touch of history yeah. to come back. And so is D23. I'm going to tell a little bit about my book right now. I have 180 photos and images in the book. Some are quite rare. Some come from the archives of Disney, which I had. I have a picture in there of Virginia Davis at the corner of Western and Santa Monica Boulevard when it was Fox Studios. And there was an empty lot on the corner. Fox Studios started down the road a little bit. And they had a big sign up there. 
and Walt Disney and his brother would come and drape it or bring a bench or something like that. And this still has Virginia as Alice sitting on the bench. It's a big wide shot. Holding the clipboard and being the director is Walt Disney himself. Behind him stands Virginia's dad. And over on the other side, on the camera that you crank, Mm -hmm. is Roy Disney. And it's just the most perfect still in the whole wide world. (laughs) So when you see my book, look for it. It's a second to last chapter. I think you can find it. Yeah, there's so many great pictures and sketches and drawings. I'm enjoying that almost as much as what you wrote. Well, you know, the little sketches of me about four and five and six years old looking like Tinkerbell because it's just a sketch and I'm in my pajamas right. or in my little tutu or what is done by my son-in-law who is uh, won awards for his storyboarding. He did 64 of the Smurf storyboard. He did uh, Pinky and the Brain, the Andy, uh, the Angry Beavers, and his name is Joel Seibel. He's now a pastor in oh. Minnesota. Wow. Yes. He's a dear man. Dear man. So I asked him if he could do that. He says, I think I could do that for you. <laughs> so we had some sketches and things at the beginning of the book mm-hmm. when, of course, I wouldn't have any stills. I do have stills of the our gang, though. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. You, that tells you how wonderful people are in our business. You only hear terrible things. That's all they want to put down. Well, if you, when I was working our gang, and I was the blur, that's what I call myself. You never, you know, I went by the camera so fast, but I had great fun doing it. I worked for uh, Hal Roach Sr., and I worked for MGM both. Tap danced for MGM. I did for Hal Roach. And if you worked at our gang and you were caught with a still, you would be dismissed. I think they had the FBI there before the FBI was ever formed. <laughs> you did not get a still. That was it. Wow. I mean, hmm. uh, I don't know whether it was having to reproduce. I have no idea. Anyway, they called me in one time. Uh, Gordon Douglas was the director and assistant director. He, he did both uh, at different times. Mm-hmm. And he called me in. I was Kathleen to him. He could never remember Peggy. <laughs> and they put us in these sunsuits, the most ill-fitting sunsuits you have ever seen in your life. They were horrible. And then they were going to take publicity pictures of it for the people who made the sunsuits. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, uh, we did it. And we finished and we went on our way. About, I guess, 28, 30 years later, I had a friend of mine said, you know, on Gordon Avenue behind the big store, they have stills over there and photos. I said, yeah. And they have a a file of yours. I said, what are you talking about? And well, MGM was going to throw out all the photos of our gay, if Mm. you can imagine. Because they didn't have room, and they had finished shooting it. So. Right. And this man bought them. And he saw Peggy Lynch up on three of the files, and he said, get the word out to her that uh, I have them for her. Well, it was only open on Saturday from 2, I think, to 5. So one day I went over, 
And uh, I think I had two children by that time kind of thing. And I walked in a big, big room, huge room with all these. And I walked, I said, I think you may have from our gang, you may have some photos from me. He says, Peggy Lynch. <laughs> I said, what? He said, your eyes have not changed a bit. Mm-hmm. So he took me over and he gave me those stills. And I said, so how much do I owe? He said, they're a present. I was going to ask about a lot of the famous people that you worked with, because people love famous people stories. Mm-hmm. And we'll maybe do a couple of them, but then I have a follow-up to right. that that people don't usually talk about so much. So uh, I saw a partial list of the, um, you know, some of the, the famous people that you worked with, like Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, and Ginger Rogers, Dorothy Lamore, Lionel Barrymore, and others. So do you have any uh, memories or stories that you can share about working with any of those of the you know, really well-known people? Well, one of the fun ones to work with, we never knew how to take him. Um, we were in the last scene of The Star Maker with Bing Crosby. Okay. Which, as a, an aside, was a terrible shame. Of they, they took it and twisted it. This man who was the star maker, was uh, Gus Edwards was his name, and what he did for the comedians that we knew and take care of them as little boys and all but they they decided to make something I don't know <laughs> anyway <clears throat> Bing Crosby of course was an idol to everyone my principal was very uh, at school was very upset with him because she did not and she would go and he said silent night that's not the way that you sing, you know. <laughs> it's crooning, you know. So I was fascinated to be being Crosby. So we're sitting there, and we are mouthing to the Mitchell Boys Choir. It's the boys who are singing. They're not on the screen. Mm-hmm. It's all girls that I can remember. I think that's what it was. And he's giving little, casting little asides to us that are funny. Now... Most of us have been in show business a little while. What, I must have been nine years old, eight or nine years old. So we could catch these things. Uh Well, there was somebody, a grown-up. How he was there with the crew, I have no idea. He didn't get them. (laughs) He was getting very upset that he was giving us a bad, that Bing Crosby was giving us a bad time. And we were looking at him. Bing Crosby is looking at us. This, you could just tell. I mean, his earlobes were turning red. That, that, that. And uh, finally, one of the girls stood up, ran over, and gave Bing Crosby a big hug and said, I think you're wonderful, and sat down again. Uh, she was, must have been 30 years old when she was born. Because she diffused everything. And evidently, this man standing there was an important man. Well, unfortunately, he got makeup all over her white dress. Oops. Okay. So she had to move back. She was going to sit in his lap on the very last scene. Guess who got to sit in his lap the very last (laughs) scene? And he chatted with me. But he was never warm. Hmm. He was more clever. And you appreciated it. Uh-huh. But he wasn't like some of the people who, like Eleanor Powell, just adored the children. She would give them a hug when we were doing the, uh, um, keep the, her dress clean because she had this magnificent wedding dress for Rosalie. But 
she would touch you. She would put her hand under your chin and look, you beautiful thing. She would uh, not think. Uh, she used another phrase, I, you, you beautiful doll. That was it. And I don't know what she But she she sent out a warmth that was amazing. Bing Crosby did not. Um, uh, Andy Griffith was sort of in between. You could walk up to him and chat with him, but he was also part of the production company that was making these <laughs> things. So he would switch. You would watch him. His body language would change from a businessman making a decision over here to being uh, Andy Griffith on uh-huh. the show. One of the things that I've always found with me is to be able to read people because here I was out in the world alone with two people I never knew before who are saying that they're my mommy and daddy. Right. And so to read people was very important. Well, of course, from that, my acting got better and better and better and better. Right? Right. Yeah. So it all sort of came together. Oh, good. That makes sense. Any other star that you would like me to talk about? Uh one that's maybe not super well-known to a lot of people, but she is to me, June Foray. Oh, I just talked to her about, what, two months ago? Really? She's 99, mm-hmm. and she's got this dog she should never have. <laughs> it is a dog that weighs, you look at it and you say, isn't that cute? And then you try to pick it up, and it must weigh 900 pounds, all muscle. <laughs> Keeps knocking her down. Anyway, I think she stopped working three years ago. She'd get in her car. And I think the police got everybody out of the way. <laughs> anyway, she's one of my favorites. We used to stand opposite each other on the microphone for radio. Uh-huh. She's about three inches shorter than I am. So we got the same mic kind of thing. And she used to think it was keen that she had a table at the Brown Derby in Hollywood it was the passageway between the bar where the guys would go and they could have dinner there mm-hmm. or the actual dining room. And she had a caricature of herself that they did. And she had her own phone there because she would suddenly get a call from CBS or NBC or whatever to do a radio show. She didn't want to drive all the way back to Northridge. Uh-huh. And I, she and I used to do, you know, uh, well, let me go back. I guess the first time we really met was we were doing... No, no, no. We had done radio before. We were doing The Mermaids. She was the dark-haired mermaid. Uh, And she didn't like it because they had taped our legs together so that we would seem like you couldn't walk kind Uh of thing. And uh, so we laughed and giggled at that. But what I tease her about is, of course, she does Rocky, Rocky and Bullwinkle. She did the funniest... uh, uh, record ever made that was called Dragonette. Oh yeah, yeah. He was a he was a dragon. And he breathed fire on me. It was awful. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but my favorite is the one that she did for Disney Mulan. She didn't work for Disney very much. She worked for Warner Brothers, so she was delighted to get this job. And I love the last line of the grandmother. In the whole picture, it just sums it up. Remember, Mulan comes back. She's won the war for her emperor and for the god, and and she's got armor on and all the rest, and she's bringing back all these trophies. And the grandmother says, better she should have brought back a man. 
<laughs> my favorite line it just it just worked in the whole movie and june started asifa she is the founder of asifa okay so she and i used to do voices back and forth yeah yeah what what can i tell uh, we used to do uh, i did more dialects i think than june did Gigi pearson came in and uh yeah, she did the Swedish. There were only two of us here at one time where we could do the, the Scandinavian, you know. Do you know how you can tell a uh, an extroverted Finlander? No. He looks at the top of your shoes while he's talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we used to do that. She's adorable. And you may or may not know, as Mrs. Donovan, her married name, that she started the boycott against beef when, oh, this was many, 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 many years ago. She saw pictures of the cattlemen killing calves because they couldn't sell it, and yet in the markets the beef was going up and up and up in prices. So it was the middleman who was doing all of this. So she got together with another lady, and they started a boycott of meat, and the meat meat uh, world has never really recovered. Really, she never knew it would go across the country. Wow! But that no feisty idea. little thing did it. I had no idea. Ah, oh, Holly weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> now I know a lot of times you probably get asked about the famous people that you worked with. Whenever I hear interviews with almost anybody that's worked with famous people, they always want to hear about the famous people. But you, in what I've read of your book so far, have had equal praise for people that I've never heard of. So who were some of your favorite people to work with that most of us have never heard of? You know, that's a very difficult one until I, I look at the book again. I will say this to answer your question. I wrote this book in praise of the industry. Actually, when you get to the chapter about KKLA, I, I've written every name there and, and told the reader, you could skip to the next page if you don't want to read it. But these people should, they should be known. And I'm, I love history. Mm -hmm. So I could, I hopefully, you know, in a hundred years, somebody picks that up and says, oh, look, that's my grandfather. She wrote about my grandfather or anything like that. Uh, I talk about Bob Gurr. Uh -huh. I, I talk about, um, well, so many people, and particularly you have artists who are behind the scenes when you get to the uh, chapters of Cambria Studios where I started my voiceover work, and I found a list of all the people the animators and everybody who worked in it. And so I, I apologize to the reader. And in the box are all these names. And at the very end, I said, well, it makes me feel better. I want their names to be known. Absolutely. So I guess that's why I did it. And I got such a, a lovely kudo from Bob Gurr, of course, who designed the cars for Autopia and, and all of the character cars and, and, uh, what is it, the Matterhorn and, mm -hmm. you know, all the other things. The Main things. Street vehicles. Yes, everything. Yep. Uh, but he said, what you did in the book, Margaret, was you took us by the hand and we sat next to you on the soundstage. 
we were there when you had to try and do your homework. Mm-hmm. We were there when uh, Charlie Ruggles uh, was g- giving this long scene about their girl grown up, and you were underneath the covers uh, on a hot afternoon doing a network show, and the prop man had p- piled four new blankets on top of you. So you, you <laughs> would, But he said what you did was, using people's names and praising them, you also took us by the hand, and we went through what happened in Hollywood during that time. And I thought, Bob, you want to put that down and writing? And he said, no. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like Bob. Yeah. (laughs) So that's why those names are there. Uh And somebody is going to say, well, here's one. I got a call from my uh, niece. As the book tells you, I found my family after 50 years. And we, I'm Scots-Irish. I'm a, a Henderson McCarty, and I love it. And I have a niece who is a hero to me. And she uh, is not well thought of in the family. Really? Because she's a rebel. She's a rebel. But she went to work. Uh, she... Um, joined the Air Force. She has medal. Uh, they, they don't give you medals. They give you something to say because she could fuel, her, her group could fuel the airplanes faster than anybody. She has worked the last 20 years with the um, de, uh, dis- disabled American veterans, seeing that they got all the things that they need. She never gave up. Even when she broke her back, she was there to see that. I think she's fabulous. So, I wrote her name in the book to tell about her. Uh-huh. Now, somebody's going to look at it and say, oh, I was with her in the Air Force. You know? Yeah. That's exciting. We're only, what is it, six points away from someone That's that we say. each know? Yeah. Something like that. So that to me was very exciting. And maybe that's why it's 400 pages. But don't let that scare you, anybody, because the chapters, not one chapter goes over six pages. And they are beginning and a middle and an end. You pick up, you read the chapter, and you can put it down. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, and that's, I, I hate memoirs where they say, so I went to Africa with Aunt Gertrude. And I think, who's Aunt Gertrude? <laughs> and you have to go back to chapter two to find out who Aunt Gertrude is. Uh-huh. And it wasn't worth it. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's just a different style. Right. I try to put the whole story in. The story when I started a riot at at uh, Los Angeles City College because we wanted to keep the communist employed there because we knew who he was. And the Chinese communists who had just given him the paycheck said if he didn't start a riot or, or unrest there, they were going to fire him. So uh, the powers that be, the whole student oh. government board, mm-hmm. decided that they would put together a riot there. It was in 19... 19- Sixty-five, when all the riots were going on, uh-huh. and we got all of these other clubs to bring people over, and so we told him be there, two fifteen round the flagpole, and he brought his folding chair. He's chatting with us up drives an ABC uh, eyewitness news car. This man gets out with his big awkward camera, comes running up, and he jumps. Uh, Rashidi jumps up on the. 
chair and starts haranguing us and we're shouting and we're screaming at him and well, you know the cameraman's taking all of this and we have one little Asian lady who picked up and threw a half brick through a window of a building that we knew was going to be demolished but of course no <laughs> and the the men went around getting names uh-huh. and so on and took off and we all left and went to work <laughs> we let off eyewitness news you know but he kept his job uh-huh so those are the fun stories, and it's told in one chapter, so you don't have to figure out who did what to who. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I haven't made it that far in the book yet, but I'm looking for I will skip ahead because you said you can jump around in the book oh, if you, you want must, to. You must. So. And the part four <laughs> is the solid part for Disney. Mm-hmm. It's all about Disney, and there are quite a few chapters in there. One lady approached me, and um, there's a picture of her in there, telling me, that Tinkerbell and and I saved her life. And that's a wonderful chapter to read. She's one of four that have told me through the years. And there's a picture of the Tinkerbell on her leg that she had tattooed that saved her life. Wow. It's a wonderful story. And I think it takes three pages. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of, of fun thing, just how you feel. Each part is... Uh, the the moving part is when I find my family and there's my baby picture that I never knew that I had and I think it is part six I'm not sure, so that's what you do look at the different parts it tells you where I am and have fun. Yeah, speaking of having fun, I did see uh, a quote that you'd put in there that you said was a favorite quote of yours. I said, blessed are we who can laugh at ourselves, for we shall never cease to be entertained. Isn't that great? (laughs) Isn't that great? I love that one. Me too. And my son has one in there that I asked him one day. He's a comedy writer. And I asked him, Eric, come on now. What is life? You're so smart. (laughs) He said, Mom, life is a conflict of interests. I saw that one. And I went, wow, that's my son who said that. So I had to put it in the book. Yeah. And the opening, the very first page in the book is a quote from James M. Barry that I love. It says, memory is God's gift of roses to us in December. That is a beautiful quote. I love that quote. And then I apologized because I said my memories are my roses that I get every day all through my life. But I apologize to him. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, yes. (laughs) So they can get my book by going to TinkerbellTalks.com and push the button that says (laughs) if you want the book. Uh, There are ways for me to sign the book. There are ways that you could get it unsigned. There are ways to get it personalized. But, you know, whatever. It's a, a handsome book, I think. It is. And I will probably, we're about to wrap it up. I mm-hmm. want to tell you on the back, you know where you write what uh, people say about whether the book is any good. And one of my favorite sayings is on the, that was written on the back. It's from The Crocodile. It says, Miss Carey's book is wonderful. It tastes just like chicken. it's a very clever crocodile yes well he certainly is (laughs) so you've told us where we can find you you know where we can find your website and Mm -hmm. tinkerbelltalks.com simple yes simple and i'm going to link to that uh do you know yet if you're going to be at the d23 expo this year 
Yes, yes. Okay. I'm going to be in the Gifts by Small Fry booth with Linda Swisher. Gifts by Small Fry. She has lots of wonderful things. Uh, there's talk that I'm going to do a panel, but I have been out of town. I just got back from Tracy, California, doing a big show up there, which is right next to Sacramento. Drove up, drove back. Great drive. Fabulous. And uh, then I'm off to Missouri, Marshfield. I, and before that, I just got back from Philadelphia where I did another show. And then I'm going to be doing Tennessee. Uh, forgotten the rest. <laughs> <laughs> that should do people for now. Well, I will tell you, it is such a joy to represent someone like Tinkerbell and a company like Disney. I just, you, you may not believe me, but sometimes I wake up in the morning and go in and wash my face and I go, holy moly, you've got to be the luckiest girl in the whole wide world. I'm blessed and I could have been the woman who got her throat slit in, in Psycho, you know? <laughs> but no. And I could spread pixie dust every place. And I could bring magic into people's lives because of people like Mark Davis, Walt Disney, Jerry Geronimi, the whole group. It, it, it's really magical. You know, I can't think of a better way to wrap it up than that. So thank you so much for your time and for sitting down with me again and I look forward to doing it again soon. God bless. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Margaret Carey for being my guest again and to you for listening. Right now I am working on getting an interview lined up for the next time with a former Imagineer who was a show writer with Disney. I think you're going to find that one very interesting. And so now it's just a matter of coordinating our schedules on East Coast and West Coast, but I'm working on it. I've been telling you for some time about the podcast cruise on the Disney Wonder in September of 2017. And like I told you last time, we're just about out of room. Uh, not just our group, but the entire ship. Now, I'm recording this a little bit ahead of time, so... If you're listening to it the day it comes out or soon after, I haven't checked in the last few days to see how much space is left, but I know there was hardly any left last time, and if anything, that space has most likely become even more scarce right now. So if you're thinking of sailing with us, email me now and let me know. Like, literally, email me right now. You can pause the show and do it or listen to the rest of this while you're typing, but if you're interested, email me now. I will see if there's anything still available, and if there is, then I'll grab it for you. If not, I'll put you on my list so I can be watching for any cancellations that may come up, which, if it's going to happen, probably is going to be around the time that final payments do, and some people that are planning to sail on that particular ship uh, decide to back out for one reason or another. And if that happens, then as long as I've got your information, then I can get you in that spot as soon as one comes up. And you know, if nothing else becomes available, well, I do hope that you will join us next time. Now for this week's Stories of the Magic tips and tidbits. Here's another tidbit for you. In the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction, you probably remember the magistrate, Carlos. If nothing else, you might remember him being dunked in the well and his wife calling out to him not to give in. Speak up, you bilge rat! Where be the treasure? Do not tell him, Carlos! No, 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 no! 
His wife was originally voiced by Jenny Tyler. Jenny had an impressive career in her own right, and perhaps we'll talk about that another day. This time I want to tell you who replaced her, the voice that you hear now when you ride. The magistrate's wife is voiced by none other than June Foray, whom you heard Margaret and I talk about. That's right, the magistrate's wife is Rocky the Flying Squirrel, or vice versa, depending on how you want to look at it. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, maybe you've written a book, created a website, or you're blogging, writing, or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, then I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and you want to share a story or give a compliment or a thank you to Disney, then I would love to hear from you too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, Stitcher Smart Radio, or through Google Play Music. If there's any place else that you'd like us to be, let me know. I'll work on getting us in there. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, Visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode. You know, if you like the show also, please rate and review it in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. It really does help. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening or pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world. <laughs>